Chapter 6 of Linda Tressel by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 6 All September went by, and all October, and life in the Red House in the island in Nuremberg was a very sad life indeed. During this time Linda Tressel never spoke to Ludovic Valcam, nor of him, but she saw him once, standing among the beer-casks opposite to the warehouse. Had she not so seen him, she would have thought that he had vanished altogether out of the city, and that he was to be no more heard of or seen among them. He was such a man, and belonged to such a set, that his vanishing in this fashion would have been a thing to create no surprise. He might have joined his father, and they too might be together in any quarter of the globe, on any spot, the more distant, the more probable. It was one of Linda's troubles that she knew really nothing of the life of the man she loved. She had always heard things evil spoken of him, but such evil speaking had come from those who were his enemies, from his cousin, who had been angry because Ludovic had not remained with him on the stool in the town hall, and from Madame Staubach, who thought ill of almost all young men, and who had been specially prejudiced against this young man by Peter Steinmark. Linda did not know what she should believe. She had heard that the brothers Sack were respectable tradesmen, and it was in Valcombe's favour that he was employed by them. She had thought that he had left them, but now, seeing him again among the barrels, she had reason to presume that his life could not be altogether unworthy of him. He was working for his bread, and what more could be required from a young man than that? Nevertheless, when she saw him, she sedulously kept herself from his sight, and went, almost at once, back to the kitchen, from whence there was no view on to the Rudenplatz. During these weeks life was very sad in this house. Madame Starbeck said but little to her niece of her past iniquity in the matter of Ludovic's visit, and not much of Peter's suit. But she so bore herself that every glance of her eye, every tone of her voice, every nod of her head was a separate rebuke. She hardly ever left Linda alone, requiring her company when she went out to make her little purchases in the market and always on those more momentous and prolonged occasions when she attended some public prayer-meeting. Linda resolved to obey in such matters, and she did obey. She went hither and thither by her aunt's side, and at home she sat with her aunt, always with a needle in her hand, never leaving the room, except when Peter Steinmark entered it. This he did perhaps on every other evening, and when he did so, Linda always arose and went up to her own chamber, "'speaking no word to the man as she passed him. "'When her aunt had rebuked her for this, "'laying upon her a command that she should remain when Steinmark appeared, "'she protested that in that matter obedience was impossible to her. "'In all other things she would do as she was bidden. "'Nothing,' she said, but force, "'should induce her to stay for five minutes in the same room with Peter Steinmark. "'Peter, who was of course aware of all this, "'would look at her when he passed her, or met her in the stairs or in the passages, as though that she were something too vile for him to touch. Madame Steinbach, as she saw this, would groan aloud, and then Peter would groan. Latterly, too, Tetchen had taken to groaning, so that life in the house had become very sad. But Dinda paid back Peter's scorn with interest. Her lips would curl, and her nostrils would be dilated, and her eyes would flash fire on him as she passed him. He also prayed a little in these days that Linda might be given into his hands. If ever she should be so given, 
he should teach her what it was to scorn the offer of an honest man. For a month or six weeks, Linda Tressel bore all this with patience. But when October was half gone, her patience was almost at an end. Such a life, if prolonged much further, would make her mad. The absence of all smiles from the faces of those with whom she lived was terrible to her. She was surrounded by a solemnity as of the grave, and came to doubt almost whether she were a living creature. If she were to be scorned always, to be treated ever as one unfit for the pleasant intercourse of life, it might be as well that she should deserve such treatment. It was possible that by deserving it she might avoid it. At first, during these solemn, wearisome weeks, she would tell herself that because her aunt had condemned her, not, therefore, need she feel assured that she was condemned of her heavenly father. She was not a castaway because her aunt had so called her. But gradually there came upon her a feeling, springing from her imagination rather than from her judgment, that she was a thing set apart as vile and bad. There grew upon her a conviction that she was one of the non-elect, or rather one of those who were elected to an eternity of misery. Her religious observances, as they came to her now, were odious to her, and that, she supposed, to be a certain sign that the devil had fought for her soul and had conquered. It could not be that she should be so terribly wretched if she were not also very wicked. She would tremble now at every sound, and though she still curled her lips and poured scorn upon Peter from her eyes as she moved away at his approach, she was almost so far beaten as to be desirous to succumb. She must either succumb to her aunt and to him, or else she must fly. How was she to live without a word of sympathy from any human being? She had been careful to say little or nothing to Tetchen, having some indistinct idea that Tetchen was a double traitor. That Tetchen had on one occasion been in league with Ludovic, she was sure. But she thought that, since that, the woman had been in league with Peter also. The league with Ludovic had been very wicked, but that might be forgiven. A league with Peter was a sin to be forgiven never, and therefore Linda had resolutely declined of late to hold any converse with Tetchen other than that which the affairs of the house demanded. When Tetchen, who in this matter was most unjustly treated, would make little attempts to regain the confidence of her young mistress, her efforts were met with a repellent silence. And thus, there was no one in the house to whom Linda could speak. This at last became so dreadful to her, the desolation of her position was so complete, that she had learned to regret her sternness to Tetchen. As far as she could now see, there was no alliance between Tetchen and Peter, and it might be the case, she thought, that her suspicions had been unjust to the old woman. One evening, about the beginning of November, when it had already become dark at that hour in which Peter would present himself in Madame Starbuck's parlour, he had entered the room, as was usual with him, and, as usual, Linda had at once left it. Peter, as he passed her, had looked at her with more than his usual anger, with an aggravated bitterness of condemnation in his eyes. She had been weeping in silence before he had appeared, and she had no power left to throw back her scorn at him. Still weeping, she went up into her room, and, throwing herself on her bed, began, in her misery, to cry aloud for mercy. Some end must be brought to this, or the burden on her shoulders would be heavier than she could bear. 
She had gone to the window for a moment as she entered the chamber, and had thrown one glance in despair over towards the ruined plats. But the night was dark and full of rain, and had he been there she could not have seen him. There was no one to prevent her. Then she threw herself on the bed and wept aloud. She was still lying there when there came a very low tap at the door. She started up and listened. She had heard no footfall on the stairs, and it was, she thought, impossible that anyone should have come up without her hearing the steps. Peter Steinmark creaked when though he went along the passages, and neither did her aunt or Tetchen tread with feet as light as that. She sat up, and then the knock was repeated, very low and very clear. She still paused a moment, resolving that nothing should frighten her, nothing should startle her. No change that could come to her would, she thought, be a change for the worse. She hastened up from off the bed and stood upon the floor. Then she gave the answer that is usual to such a summons. "'Come in,' she said. She spoke low, but with clear voice, so that her word might certainly be heard, but not be heard afar. She stood about ten feet from the door, and when she heard the lock turned, her heart was beating violently. The lock was turned, and the door was ajar, but it was not opened. "'Linda,' said a soft voice, "'Linda, will you speak to me?' "'Heavens and earth, it was Ludovic! Ludovic in our aunt's house! Ludovic at her chamber door! Ludovic there, within the very penetralia of the abode, while her aunt and Peter Steinmark were sitting in the chamber below!' But she had resolved that in no event would she be startled. In making that reserve, had she not almost hoped that this would be the voice that should greet her? She could not now again say, "'Come in,' and the man who had had the audacity to advance so far was not bold enough to advance farther, though invited. She stepped quickly to the door, and, placing her hand upon the lock, knew not whether to close it against the intruder or to confront the man. "'There can be but a moment, Linda. Will you not speak to me?' said her lover. "'What could her aunt do to her? What, Peter Steinmark, what could the world do, worse than had been done already?' They had told her that she was a castaway, and she had half believed it. In the moments of her deepest misery she had believed it. If that was so, how could she fall lower? Would it not be sweet to her to hear one word of kindness in her troubles, to catch one note that should not be laden with rebuke? She opened the door, and stood before him in the gloom of the passage. Linda, dear, dearest Linda, and before she knew that he was so near her, he had caught her hand. "'Hush! They are below. They will hear you.' "'No, I could be up among the rafters before anyone could be on the first landing, and no one should hear a motion.' Linda, in her surprise, looked up through the darkness, as though she could see the passage of which she spoke in the narrowing stair amidst the roof. What a terrible man was this, who had come to her bedroom door, and could thus talk of escaping amidst the rafters! "'Why are you here?' she whispered. "'Because I love you better than the light of heaven.' "'because I would go through fire and water to be near you. "'Linda, dearest Linda, is it not true that you are in sorrow?' "'Indeed, yes,' she said, shaking her head, "'while she still left her hand in his. "'And shall I not find an escape for you?' "'No, no, that is impossible.' "'I will try, at least,' said he. "'You can do nothing for me, nothing. "'You love me, Linda, say that you love me.' "'She remained silent.' but her hand was still within his grasp. She could not lie to him and say that she loved him not. "'Linda, you are all the world to me. 
the sweetest music that I could hear would be one word to say that I am dear to you. She said not a word, but he knew now that she loved him. He knew it well. It is the instinct of the lover to know that his mistress has given him her heart heartily, when she does not deny the gift with more than sternness, with cold cruelty. Yes, he knew her secret now, and, pulling her close to him by her hand, by her arm, he wound his own arm around her waist tightly, and pressed his face close to hers. Linda, Linda, my own, my own, oh, God, how happy I am! She suffered it all, but spoke not a word. His hot kisses were rained upon her lips, but she gave him never a kiss in return. He pressed her with all the muscles of his body, and she simply bore the pressure, uncomplaining, uncomplying, hardly thinking, half-conscious, almost swooning, hysterical, with blood rushing wildly to her heart, lost in an agony of mingled fear and love. "'Oh, Linda! Oh, my own one!' But the kisses were still raining on her lips and cheek and brow. Had she heard her aunt's footsteps on the stairs, had she heard the creaking shoes of Peter Steinmark himself, she could hardly have moved to save herself from their wrath. The pressure of her lover's arms was very sweet to her, but still, through it all, there was a consciousness that, in her very knowledge of that sweetness, the devil was claiming his own. Now, in very truth, was she a castaway. "'My love, my life,' said Ludovic, "'there are but a few moments for us. What can I do to comfort you?' She was still in his arms, pressed closely to his bosom, not trusting at all to the support of her own legs. She made one little struggle to free herself, but it was in vain. She opened her lips to speak, but there came no sound from them. Then there came again upon her that storm of kisses, and she was bound round by his arm, as though she were never again to be loosened. The waters that fell upon her were sweeter than the rains of heaven, but she knew there was still enough of life in her to remember— that they were foul with the sulphur and the brimstone of the pit of hell. "'Linda,' he said, "'I am leaving Nuremberg. Will you go with me?' "'Go with him? Whither was she to go? How was she to go? And this going that he spoke of, was it not thus usually with castaways? If it were true that she was in very fact already a castaway, why should she not go with him? And yet she was half sure that any such going on her part was a thing quite out of the question.' As an actor will save himself when he declined some proffered character, she could not see herself in that part. Though she could tell herself that she was a castaway, a very child of the devil, because she could thus stand and listen to her lover at her chamber door, yet could she not think of the sin that would really make her so, without an abhorrence which made that sin frightful to her? She was not allured, hardly tempted by the young man's offer as he made it. And yet— what else was there for her to do? And if it were true that she was a castaway, why should she struggle to be better than others who were of the same colour with herself? Linda, say, will you be my wife? His wife? Oh, yes, she would be his wife, if it were possible. Even now, in the moment of her agony, there came to her a vague idea that she might do him some service if she were his wife, because she had property of her own. She was ready to acknowledge to herself that her duty to him was stronger than her duty to that woman below who had been so cruel to her. She would be his wife, if it were possible, even though he should drag her through the mud of poverty and through the gutters of tribulation. Could she walk down to her aunt's presence this moment, his real wife, 
she would do so, and bear all that could be said to her. Would this be so, that storm which had been bitter with brimstone from the lowest pit would at once become sweet with the air of heaven. But how could this be? She knew that it could not be. Marriage was a thing difficult to be done, hedged in with all manner of impediments, hardly to be reached at all by such a one as her, unless it might be such a marriage as that proposed to her with Peter Steinmark. For girls were sweet, loving parents, for the Fanny Heises of the world, marriage might be made easy. It was all very well for Ludovic Falcom to ask her to be his wife, but in asking he must have known that she could not if she would. And yet the sound of the word was sweet to her. If it might be so, even yet she would not be a castaway. But she did not answer his question. Struggling hard to speak, she muttered some prayer to him that he would leave her. "'Say that you love me,' demanded Ludovic. The demand was only whispered, but the words came hot into her ears. "'I do love you,' she replied. "'Then you will go with me?' "'No, no, it is impossible.' "'They'll make you take that man for your husband.' "'They shall never do that. Never, never.' In making this assertion, Linda found strength to extricate herself from her lover's arms and to stand alone. "'And how shall I come to you again?' said Ludovic. "'You must not come again. You should not have come now. I would not have been here had I thought it possible you would have come.' "'But Linda—' And then he went on to show to her how very unsatisfactory a courtship theirs would be if, now that they were together, nothing could be arranged as to their future meeting.' It soon became clear to Linda that Ludovic knew everything that was going on in the house, and had learned it all from Tetchen. Tetchen at this moment was quite aware of his presence upstairs, and was prepared to cough aloud, standing at the kitchen door, if any sign were made that either Steinmark or Madame Starbach were about to leave the parlour. Though it had seemed to Linda that her lover had come to her through the darkness, aided by the powers thereof, the assistance which had really brought him there was simply that of the old cook downstairs. It certainly was on the cards that Tetchen might help him again after the same fashion, but Ludovic felt that such help would be but of little avail unless Linda, now that she had acknowledged her love, would do something to help also. With Ludovic Falcom it was quite a proper course of things that he should jump out of a boat, or disappear into the roof among the rafters, or escape across the tiles and down the spouts in the darkness, as preliminary steps in a love affair. But in this special love affair, such movements could only be preliminary, and therefore, as he was now standing face to face with Linda, and as there certainly had been difficulties in achieving this position, he was anxious to make some positive use of it. And then, as he explained to Linda in very few words, he was about to leave Nuremberg and go to Munich, she did not quite understand whether he was always to remain in Munich, nor did she think of inquiring how he was to earn his bread there. But it was his scheme that she should go with him, and that they should be married. If she would meet him at the railway station in time for the early train, they certainly could reach Munich without impediment. Linda would find no difficulty in leaving the house. Tetchen would take care that even the door should be open for her. Linda listened to it all and by degrees the impossibility of her assenting to such iniquity became less palpable. And though the wickedness of the scheme was still manifest to her, though she felt that, were she to assent to it, she would, in doing so, 
give herself up finally body and soul to the evil one, yet was she not angry with Ludovic for proposing it. Nay, loving him well enough before, she loved him the better as he pressed her to go with him. But she would not go. She had nothing to say but, no, 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 it was impossible. She was conscious, after a certain fashion, that her legs would refuse to carry her to the railway station on such an errand, that her physical strength would have failed her, and that were she to make ever so binding a promise, when the morning came she would not be there. He had again taken her hand, and was using all his eloquence, still speaking in low whispers, when there was heard a cough, not loud, but very distinct, Tetchen's cough, as she stood at the kitchen door. Ludovic Valcalm, though the necessity for movement was so close upon him, would not leave Linda's hand till he again pressed a kiss upon her mouth. Now at last, in this perilous moment, there was some slightest movement on Linda's lips, which he flattered himself he might take as a response. Then, in a moment, he was gone, and her door was shut, and he was escaping, after his own fashion, into the darkness. She knew not whither, and she knew not how, except that there was a bitter flavour of brimstone about it all. She seated herself at the foot of the bed, lost in amazement. She must first think. She was bound first to think of his safety. And yet what in the way of punishment could they do to him, comparable to the torments which they could inflict upon her? She listened, and she soon heard Peter Steinmark creaking in the room below. Tetchen had coughed, because Peter was, as usual, going to his room. But had Ludovic remained at her door, no one would have been a bit the wiser. No doubt Ludovic, up among the rafters, was thinking the same thing, but there must be no renewal of their intercourse that night, and therefore Linda bolted her door. As she did so, she swore to herself that she would not unbolt it again that evening at Ludovic's request. No such encroaching request was made to her. She sat for nearly an hour at the foot of her bed, waiting, listening, fearing, thinking, hoping, hardly hoping, when another step was heard on the stair and in the passage, a step which she well knew to be that of her aunt Charlotte. Then she arose, and as her aunt drew near she pulled back the bolt and opened the door. The little oil lamp which she held threw a timid, fitful light into the gloom, and Linda looked up unconsciously into the darkness of the roof over her head. It had been her custom to return to her aunt's parlour as soon as she heard Peter creaking in the room below, and she had still meant to do so on this evening, but hitherto she had been unable to move, or at any rate so to compose herself as to have made it possible for her to go into her aunt's presence. Had she not had the whole world of her own love-story to fill her mind and her heart? "'Linda, I've been expecting you to come down to me,' said her aunt gravely. "'Yes, Aunt Charlotte, and I was coming.' "'It is late now, Linda.' "'Then, if you please, I will go to bed,' said Linda, who was by no means sorry to escape the necessity of returning to the parlour. "'I could not go to my rest,' said Madame Steinbach, "'without doing my duty by seeing you and telling you again that it is very wicked of you to leave the room whenever our friend enters it. Then did you ever think of the punishment which pride will bring down upon you?' "'It is not pride.' "'Yes, Linda.' It is the worst pride in the world. I will sit with him all the evening, if he will promise me never again to ask me to be his wife. The time will perhaps come, Linda, when you will be only too glad to take him, 
and he will tell you that you are not fit to be the wife of an honest man. Then, having uttered this bitter curse, for such it was, Madame Starbuck went across to her own room. Linda, as she knelt by her bedside, tried to pray that she might be delivered from temptation, but she felt that her prayers were not prayers indeed. Even when she was on her knees, with her hands clasped together as though towards her God, her very soul was full of the presence of that arm which had been so fast wound round her waist. And when she was in bed, she gave herself up to the sweetness of her love. With what a delicious violence had that storm of kisses fallen upon her! Then she prayed for him, and strove very hard that her prayer might be sincere. End of chapter 6